Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Robbie Straczynski. Thank you so much for joining us on episode number 81 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. Today's guest is Benjamin Spraggy Sprag, a British poker player originally from Gloucestershire. I hope I got that one right. Uh, England, who is a popular Twitch streamer and a member of the Poker Stars Pro Team Online. On his Twitch channel, Spraggy boasts over 135,000 subscribers, at least 135,001 uh, now. And counting, Ben specializes in online MTTs and has made over $2 million that we know of in that format. To boot, over the past two years, he has won two WCOOP titles. Today, we'll get to know the man behind the stream a bit better. Spraggy, welcome to the Cards Chat Podcast. Hello, Robbie. Thank you very much for having me on. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to meet you for the first time. Obviously, I'm uh, very well aware of your exploits, uh, you know, your outsized personality and such. Seeing this Twitch stream once or twice, not more, I'm sorry, but uh, I have seen it once or twice. Uh, and it's uh, it's nice to, to get to talk to you today. Thank you. You too. Nice cool. to meet you. And you're coming to us from uh, glorious uh, Great Britain? I'm coming to you from uh, glorious Gloucestershire, which you absolutely nailed. I know it's a awesome. little bit tough with some of these letters and Worcestershire's and Gloucestershire's and Shropshire's. Yours is the um, one that's not a sauce. We don't have a specific sauce. No, there is Worcestershire sauce, which uh, I'm sure you know most people are familiar with. And it's a very, it's a very fine sauce, but no sauces here. Right. Okay. Otherwise, we have to call you saucy rather than spraggy. So, okay, good. Right. Uh, we we are off to our first question, uh, spraggy. For those of us who don't know, including me, how did you first learn how to play poker? Like through whom, what, well, what exposure? Um. So I first started, I first started playing in a, my friend's garage, um, where we would play like a five pound weekly game. You know, we turned 18, started seeing a little bit of uh, poker on TV uh, and we were playing my mate's garage, five quid buy-in and then eventually it turned into a five pound rebuy and, you know, things like that. And we all really enjoyed it. And then it just got to the point where, um, some of us looked up to play online, right? We, you know, we, we enjoyed playing it. Oh, oh, you guys seen you play poker online, we'll do that. And then as with most things that I do, if I'm doing something, I don't really want to just do it casually or just like, you know, if I'm in something, I'm going to two feet first into it. I'm, I'm all in for a little poker uh, reference there for you. But um, at that point, I just Googled whatever poker strategy. And I, I, I can remember reading whatever early poker articles online. And it was about, you know, all of a sudden realizing that you shouldn't probably play every hand and you should probably, you know, learn to fold sometimes and things like that and start playing $1 sit and goes and then one cent, two cent cash games. I also distinctly remember we had, um, my parents were having some work done on the house at the time. And one of the um, blokes who was working on the construction, him and I got talking about poker and his very ardent advice to me was whatever you do, don't play the no limit, play the limit, because then you know how much he was like, then you know how much you're going to lose. And I, I was like, buddy, <laughs> there'll be no losing in this house, you know? Okay. So that, and then I, I got into the strategy and started playing no limit, one cent, two cent. Um, um, and I was one of the lucky ones that I did not lose at the start. Um, and I actually, I actually feel like I have quite a risk averse personality in that sense. So if I had lost in the first two, three sessions where I was playing for like 10 bucks, there's a good chance I wouldn't be sat in front of you today. Um, like you literally deposited one time. I think 
I think maybe on a couple of sites, but definitely not more than like two or three times. Incredible. Wow. Where, yeah, and it was like a $20 deposit because I really didn't want to go into it and lose money. But yeah, my poker strategy was really just like learning to play with friends and then getting into like online mm-hmm. poker strategy and reading articles. And uh, I don't know, Robbie, you've been in poker a long time. Um, you remember Deuces Cracked? Yeah. It was one of the first poker sites. So I think I was watching some videos on Deuces Cracked eventually. That was kind of my first segue in there. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously you look back at that strategy today and it's it's not going to stand up, but it it was really, really, if you had access to that back when I started playing, like you're in a right. powerful position. Absolutely. It's like a super system back in, you know, the, the 80s and stuff right. in the 90s. Right. Yeah. Very cool. Um, So, I mean, you're, you're winning, you're succeeding. You had gone to university uh, and, you know, right after you finished university, that's when you decided to turn pro. But I don't know that necessarily when you started university, that was your your thought. Like, what did you study and what did you perhaps think that you were going to do you know, as far as like a normal job. So, yeah, I um, I had no intention. I don't think really anybody, certainly not back then. I mean, perhaps there's a little bit more aspiration to it now because, you know, people perhaps are a little bit more familiar with it. But back then, the idea of playing poker for a living was like way, way out of my mind. Poker was something that I, I did for fun. I went to university at uh, 18, 19, um, and I started studying politics. Um, I did that for a year. And I was kind of over it. I wasn't really enjoying the course. Um, so then I thought to maybe leave that course and swap to a, a different one. I, I actually almost thought to quit university. And I remember going into a, a like a recruitment office and being like, okay, well, I've just finished with these qualifications. I was at university for a year. I wasn't really enjoying the course. Is there any, like, where can I go employment wise? And they're like, there wasn't really anything that took my fancy, so I decided to go back to university, which is when I started studying um, journalism, film, and polit- uh, journalism, film, and media. Wow. Which I had a casual interest in journalism before because I'd done some like work experience at the local paper, and uh, I'd I'd written a few like I had a column in the local paper, like a you know like a youth column thing. Um, but that was really when I had just kind of started playing cash games to a point where I was making a little bit of money. And there was definitely a thought then when I went back into the, for the second year where journalism, film and media, I'm going to be honest with you. It's not, you're not doing a medical degree, medical degree, Robbie, you know, you're not doing, you're not doing law. I I was living with a couple, couple guys who were studying law and they were in seven, eight hours a day, journalism, film and media. Thank you very much. Uh, Coffee delivery there. Journalism, film and media. I was in for maybe, two hours a day, not even. And then if you didn't turn up, they would just send you like the um, slides and, you know, online and you could listen back to the lectures. So it wasn't particularly intense, but what it did allow was for plenty of other study. Well, for go. example, the beautiful game of No Limit Hold'em um, and also play. So it was really by the end of those three years that my poker had got to a point where I was making enough money that um, I distinctly remember my, my, my dad came to pick me up after I graduated and we were moving all my stuff back. So obviously I was living away for the four years. Uh, and he was like, oh, well, you know, so uh, so what now? And he knew that I p- played poker. Both my parents have always been very supportive of me playing poker. You know, um, they sort of understand that what it's about. And I explained to them what it's about. So they've always been, as long as I'm not 
you know, getting myself into debt or gambling right. my money away or like, you know, don't come asking me for money if it doesn't go right and you'll be responsible, you're a responsible guy. And sure. So I think my dad kind of knew in the back of his head that at this point I'd want, wanted to give poker a go. Um, so I remember driving in, in that car home and saying, look, I'm making enough every month and I have done for the last probably 18 months at this point where I could support myself. And if not now, I'll never be able to take that shot again because once you go into the world of work, it's so right. much harder to say, I'm going to quit my job and then take this path. I'd come out of university. Yes. Yeah. I had no responsibility to anyone but to myself. Um, so I thought I'll do it now. If it doesn't work out in a year, I'll go and you know use my degree, go find employment, whatever that might be. Right. The thing is, I never really knew what that was going to look like. So hmm. I think a lot of people do fall into their careers, but I definitely fell into poker. Huh. Interesting. I mean, I, 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 I'm jumping a little bit ahead because we're you know just as far as like what you did learn from that degree. Because obviously, part of your Okay, we'll call it a job because you are a professional poker player, but you're also a streamer sure. ambassador. You know, it's entertaining. Like that's what you do. That's why people are attracted to you. That's why you got the, you know, the huge following. Is there something perhaps from your degree studies that you feel you did take, learn, and you know, kind of utilize that and, and you find helpful with what you currently do? Or am I just projecting? No, I, and I think this is actually because as as I kind of alluded to, my thoughts about my degree were that I was really doing it to buy time. The, uh, it's like an excuse, <laughs> like my parents are still happy. I'm still in university. I still have this, you know, I'm going to hopefully graduate. And I still have this sort of fallback mechanism. And then for a few years when I was playing poker, I kind of thought, well, I have that, but I, I, don't, I don't use it. It's not, it doesn't really. But the more I stream and the more I'm involved in certain, you know, what I'm doing is is media, right? And it's yeah. producing media and it's delivering media. And I certainly... Uh, and it's also, uh, we did a lot of, you know, public relations stuff and, um, you know, how to you know, deal with audiences uh, and what sort of, not only just content or, uh, that audiences would like to see or, you know, it's like messaging and things like that. So I definitely, the more I stream, the more I come across things where I'm like, okay, well, this is actually something that we spoke about and also appreciating, I mean, we did modules um, about, Things like different types of content and how like advertisers, for example, on the TV and why live sports on the TV is the, like so valuable at the moment because, you know, the way that media shifts online and, you know, everything yeah. is on demand and, and things like this. So the way I deliver my content, I definitely find myself more and more being like, oh, I know that this is going to work or I know that this is what an audience wants to see or I know like that five minute break at the top of the hour, it's ever more important to like have that filled for, you know, attention spans right. or I appreciate like the shifting culture of media and how important like clips are and short form content and taking my long form content and pushing it into short form stuff either on YouTube or Twitter or Instagram. So all of these things, I really feel like my degree definitely helped me. And also like public relations, you know, I know that I can't just go on stream and if I, you know, go on there and start insulting my audience and getting into them, you know, I'm going to cause some problems. I mean, that's kind of obvious, but right. there's, you know, there's definitely different things of way of handling questions about why PokerStars doing this, why is this tournament doing this? Why sure. is, you know, if something happens on stream, I know better how to deal with it because I sort of <laughs> have this experience of how companies deal with, you know, things that happen. Yeah, for yeah. example. So yeah, I mean, 
I don't think it's completely redundant, to be honest with you. And that's kind of nice because I feel like it didn't yeah. waste three years of my life. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, so as far as like the poker playing, you know, you started, like you said, you know, one cent, two cent, you know, way back in the day. You know, obviously you said you had finished university, you had 18, you know, consistent months of like nice profits and stuff. So kind of like a, a double question here, like what was that like for you as far as the studying, the process, the moving up in stakes? When did you feel comfortable, you know, shot taking or saying, okay, I'm ready for the next level. And at the same time, did you have any sort of setbacks along the way, you know, towards feeling competent at, you know, the, the stakes that you eventually made it to? Um, yeah, I mean, it took me a long time to get through the smaller stake stuff um, because I hadn't really found my direction yet. I hadn't really found my path. I was playing a little bit of, you know, one cent, two cent, two cent, five cent, five cent, 10 cent. And I was playing, you know, I went through phases of playing four tables of that. I went through table, uh, phases of playing, I think at the time the cap was like 24 tables yeah. of that. So like mass multi-tabling. Um, and then I tried my hand at, at, at sit and goes, I was playing 27 players, sit and goes, 90 players, sit and goes on Pokestars back in the day. Um, so I hadn't really found my niche. Um, so I was doing a little bit of everything. Um, eventually I did get to, to 25 cent, 50 cent, six max. Um, and at the time they had, that was the lowest limit where they had heads up games at 25 uh -huh. cent, 50 cent heads up games. Right. Um, and it wasn't really until I got into heads up that, I really started to find my path, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, you know, th those heads-up games were obviously very lucrative. Um, and I moved up through those pretty quickly. I also had friends who were playing the same games or found a group of... One of my friends, personal friends, was doing the same thing, playing the same games. And then we, you know, had a, a small group of us who um, sort of were all doing it. And some of them were playing six max, some of them playing heads-up, but, you know, like a cash game group. And we all kind of moved up together. Um, and there were better players than me in that group. I was fortunate enough to be sort of mentored by, you know, they were they were mates of mine and, and helped and send a hand, okay, don't don't do this, do do this. Because I think, as I'm sure you'll realize, Robbie, like a lot of early strategy or more so sort of seven, eight, ten years ago, we didn't have solvers. We didn't yeah. really have an answer, especially like 100 big blind cash. So it was more just like, would you do this? What, like, why should I do this? It was more right. like speculative. It was more sort of yeah. feeling out amongst your friends or like your, your peer group in poker, what, what the right plays are. Um, so once I got into that group, then I went from 25 cent, 50 cent, um, and moved up through to eventually where I was playing five ten, um, or up to five ten. Yeah. Um, most of my, most of my volume around like $1, $2, $2, $4, but I think with every limit you step up to, there's that initial trepidation. I remember sitting the first time I went to sit the 50 cent a dollar heads up tables and I started playing someone across a couple of tables and I was like, every pot was like, Whew. okay, so I can't believe it. You know, my three bets are to like 10 bucks or whatever, you know, this is like, this is a big game. <laughs> By the end, you know, like maybe a year later, I had so many tables going or had so much action at two, four or whatever, three, right. six, that like the idea of me sitting 50 cent a dollar is like, I don't have time to be sitting 50 cent a dollar. And, you know, right. like I've got so much going on. But it's like people often think that the journey to high stakes is like, oh, I could never play for, I could never play at 510. You know, I could never play for that. I mean, now when, I, you know, when I'm in Vegas or playing cash games, I'm playing the 10, 20, 40 game or whatever. Yeah. And the idea to me back then, I was like, I would never be able to sit in that game. But when you take it step by step, and you're responsible with your bankroll and 
um, you're sort of confident enough in your own abilities that you've moved through 50 cent a dollar, one dollar, two dollar, you know what it's like, then each step becomes less intimidating. And you think, okay, well, I've moved up before, I've moved up before. And, you know, you become confident in your, your abilities. And like I said, I think res- being responsible with the bankroll is the most important thing because I was always a big bankroll net. So for me to be sitting in a in a $1, $2 game, if I had like, you know, a $4,000 bankroll and it was a few buy-ins and it's, it's, it's go, it goes bang, then sure. it was, it's never going to end well. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess that I guess that's my journey, really. It was just like slow, steady, responsible steps is, is somewhat boring as that sounds. Uh, not necessarily boring. It's, like you said, it's, it's responsible. And I got to say, you know, frankly, that resonates very strongly with my own approach to things. Not that I've progressed through any sort of stakes with poker, but just a general outlook. Um, and, and what you said just generally just does make sense. I'm wondering though, the things you said notwithstanding, as you do move up in stakes, there's also that awareness that the people sitting around those tables, or at least so the theory goes, are better players. The cream rises to the top. So despite, or you know, with your responsible bankroll management, with your improvement, with all of that, you're nonetheless surrounded by what tend to be better players. And does that sort of, is that intimidating? And if so, does that intimidation lessen as you continue progressing? Because again, like it's like beating different levels of a game, but the level gets harder. So I'm, I'm just wondering about that. Sure. I mean, I think, you know, seeing that, you know, playing tournaments as I do now, that's definitely the case where the work required to be able to compete mm. is just, it just increases with every step up. And I think you can see some pretty clear um, changes in your opponent's strategies or like toughness in your opponent's game um, as you move through the limits. You know, I really, I, I really believe that poker, anyone can do well, study at poker. It's just the effort required. A lot of people aren't going to go to those lengths. Um, in terms of intimidation, I definitely feel like, let's say today I'm playing, I'm playing like the five thirties every day on PokerStars uh, and everything below. And then at the moment I'm sort of playing some of the one K dailies on stars, which I think, you know, uh, are pretty tough games. And then during scoop, I'm playing all the one Ks or scoop at WQ big series. I'm playing all the one Ks, two Ks, and then some like, some of the five Ks, maybe I'll satellite, maybe I'll have a ticket, something like that. But you can definitely feel a difference when you step into like a, a 5K or a 10K yeah. and you look at the lobby and it's Lena and it's C. Darwin and it's one Connor B1 and it's the guy on my sofa, Tonka P. You know, it's like, it's very, very good players in the whole list. And I'm even now, you know, I'm 13 years into playing poker. I've probably been playing full time coming up 10 years. It's like you still see names like that. And you think, okay, well, you better be on your game. You mm-hmm. better be studied. You better be working hard. Whereas, you know, poker's still a game that if you just put in a couple hours study a week, you can be doing okay in the 55s. Sure. Sure. Um, but yeah, as I move up, and I still feel that today, like as I move up, I'm very aware of like who I'm up against. Um, and the game does get tougher. And you do need to take it more seriously and be more diligent if you if you want to compete at those levels. Thank you for your honesty. It's, you know, it's, it's, uh... I don't say refreshing because, you know, poker players do tend, you know, at least the ones we had here on the Card Chat podcast have always been very forthright. But, you know, like when you're a pro it's in, and folks like us who are listening or the audience here, 
we're the audience. We don't, we don't really, you know, we don't know what it's like. We're recreational players. We can take it seriously. So it's cool to sort of hear that sort of insight as, as you know, how, how the mind works uh, as you uh, go up in stages. Uh, I want to talk about live poker just briefly. Uh, you know, you can't help but take a look at your Hendon mob. You've got 20 live tournament results going back to 2011. Obviously you play, you know, <laughs> your bread and butter is online poker. That's where, you know, you're, you're making bank. I'm just kind of wondering when you do decide to play live poker, what is it that makes you want to do that? Is it like a particular stop? Is it a particularly juicy field or you just need to get out of the house? Um, yeah. So I really have, I think the, however many live caches I have in my hand and mob, I've not, I've not played too many more stops than that. I mean, I've right. certainly played more tournaments than that. Um, right. uh, and I've been playing a lot recently and, um, because my wife obviously is still in Vegas. Um, so I think that's what it is. I never really look at the schedule and think, oh, this game's going to be good, or this game's going to be good, or this stop's going to be, you know, it's really attractive to me. Um, with all due respect to live poker, um, if I if I was choosing to go to Juicy Stops, I'd be, you know, around the world sure. you know, sure. all the time. You know, live poker's, you know, booming at the moment. It's really, it's really good. But for me, it's like um, we just did the UK APT in London, and that's mm -hmm. a PokerStars event. And I know a load of people who are going to be there, my friends and, you know, people from PokerStars who maybe I haven't seen in a little while because of uh, the pandemic. So that that stop I, was, I wasn't going to miss. Um, the, the scores I have in Vegas is because I've been there incidentally uh, to visit my wife or spend time with my wife. Um, so I'll, I'll play some poker whilst I'm there. Obviously, the PSPC is, yeah, was sure. an unmissable event. Um, so something like that. Um, and then back in the day, there was some UKPT Galway uh it was my first big score. Um, there's a few other UK IPTs I went to, and, and that was really, I played those because it was the first sort of step that that friendship group I spoke about, that was the first step that we made from PokerStars into the wild. We were like, oh, this thing's right. happening in Galway. And it's a, it was a million-dollar guarantee one at the time. It was one of the bigger ones. I think it was actually a full tilt UK IPT kind of crossover. Sure. Um, so that was our first sort of step into the wild there, into the live scene. But these days, it's just... You know, my main thing is I don't want to take too much time away from my stream. Um, you know, with the content, the consistency is very important. So sure. um, it's really, yeah, if 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 people, if I'm in, I'm in Vegas with my wife or it's a PokerStars thing or if a group of my friends are going. But I never look to live poker as I need to go and grind this out or I'm going to go here and make money. It's I, I turn up to live poker events very much as like a recreational in that sense of like I'm here for a good time. Right. You know, if I'll skip a tournament, if people are going for a dinner somewhere or, you know, whatever, like if there's a show on and we're going to go do that, I'll go do that rather than, than whatever. So I guess my life score is kind of, life scores are kind of incidental in that sense. Gotcha. Well, so, yeah, before we get specifically into Twitch, I'm just kind of wondering what it is that you feel that's so appealing about online poker. Like you said, if you're approaching live uh, as a recreational, so you know all of the wonderful things that live poker can do for you, especially when you're not trying to make a living from that. What is it about online poker that specifically appeals to you? Hmm. That's a very good question. And probably something I don't, haven't thought about for a long time, just because it's what I do. Right. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I've done it for so long, but um, I guess what was it that first attracted me to online poker? What, how did I sort of get that bug to play? was I've always loved video games. Um, I always played video games with my brother and my dad when we were young. And then playing games online on the PC, I, was, I would play 
whatever, like uh, Dota 2, I play a lot of now, but, you know, competitive games. And as I mentioned earlier as well, like if I'm going to do something, I'd, I'd like to be competitive at it. So I think it was like this, this love of video games. And then online poker was a, a video game that you could play. And if you get good at it, you make money. So it's like, no longer was I in this time sink of, okay, I have 4,000 hours in Dota 2, the video game, and one of my witches has got a nice hat and a nice wand, right? And I've got like a rank next to my name. That's great. Yeah. There's, there's 4,000 hours of your life. Thanks very much. You had right. a great time. Time you enjoyed <laughs> wasting is not time wasted. That, you know, yeah. all that great, yeah. great, great. But for online poker, it's like, okay, well, here's a game and you can play it and you can play it, you know, grind it and move up levels and get better. And there's like a never ending learning tree because, you know, I'm 13 years into playing poker and I'm still learning every day, hopefully. Um, so I think that that's really, and I guess that's the essence of why I still love it today mm. is because I got into it because this competitive game where if you get good, you, you're not wasting time, <laughs> you're making money and obviously can turn it into a career. And then the longevity, I think, the reason I still have this appeal to online poker is because, I mean, yesterday, myself and, and Tonka and um, Bunga Cat, we spent an hour studying and like still so many hands where I'm like, I'm doing this wrong. I'm doing that incorrectly. Uh, we also, I played a satellite with Lex Valdhaus yesterday and then I busted him on the bubble of the satellite, thin brag. Uh, but afterwards, he's like, you know, he ran the hand and he's like running the thing and being like, okay, your hand is like one pip too wide for a call. Uh, and, you know, but it's like, I'm still learning all these different intricacies of the game and I've been playing for 13 years. So I think that it's constantly challenging. There are constantly new challenges. As I said, it's like a never ending thing because you just mentioned the levels I've moved up through. Um, getting to the 530s and playing some 1Ks, okay, but you may have felt like you're doing really well in the 215s, but guess what? Now you're going to go and play against whoever in the, you know, in the in the 1Ks and the 5Ks and the 10Ks, dare I say, during WCOOP and SCOOP, then you have a whole new challenge where you need to, you know, be studying X amount of hours a week and like, are you going to be able to step up to that level? So that sure. constant availability of progression yeah. being there as well right you never stall you never hit last level and it says game over well done you completed the game move on right it's like it's always something else like okay eventually you're gonna go play like 100k high rollers or something like you could it's right there the path is you know it's pretty viable if you're willing to work hard enough i, right. I, th I think that's the draw for me that's very cool. i love that's a great great answer and like you can hear you can like those who are just listening and not seeing you can hear the smile coming through of just how much you enjoy it as what you do uh, just sort of a, a follow-up on that when you did first start and at that time when you're thinking to say okay maybe i could this this could be my thing this is just what i do and i make a career as a profession out of it you know at that time did you have specific stake buy-in levels in mind that you had wanted to get you had to get to have you surpassed that like are you already saying oh my god i can't believe i'm playing 530s is this beyond what you had dreamed of um for me it was always like my initial when i got into it was like be able to support myself mm -hmm. stay out of a job and uh yeah don't go broke right. really <laughs> i'm a pretty i think my ambition my ambition was always more to do well at the game and succeed within the game than have like a specific monetary goal or aim like i have no real materialistic desires you know marley my wife has a go at me because i've worn the same pair of trainers for two and a half years and right? tracksuit, like, i believe and and <laughs> the same track tops for three four five years at this point so it's like 
I'm not really a guy who goes out and spends money. I'm right. not a guy who goes out and like, I, I want to buy this. I want to, you know, get that. I, you know, my life isn't driven by those things. So I'm very, very blessed, I guess. And, you know, also there's a great degree of luck to haven't got to the levels that I was, I'm fortunate enough to play now or have been fortunate enough to be playing. Obviously there's hard work that goes in, but um, I, I don't, I never looked at it and think, right, I need to, if I'm like, I wanted to do well, I needed to like be good at the game if I was going to play it, but it was never like, I need to make millions and millions of dollars. I need to be wealthy. I need to be playing right. the highest stakes games. Like if I was enjoying playing the game and happy and able to still do it and able to support myself doing it, that was really the only only goal I ever had. Um, I am certainly starting to play at a level now where I'm like, this is pretty cool that I'm playing. Because, you know, those, those 1Ks and those 5Ks and 2Ks during Scoops and Wcoops, those, for my mind, are currently the best players in tournament poker. Um, so to be able to kind of hang with those guys, I'm like, yeah. I'm not quite as good as uh, a lot of those guys, but I'm like kind of pushing in towards that level of like wanting to sit with them and, you know, wanting to test myself against them and feeling okay in like some of the $1,000 buy-ins, feeling good in some of the $1,000 buy-ins. Like, that's pretty cool, sure. Sure. I always I always like to say anytime you're saying K instead of thousand dollars, life must be pretty good. That's good stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure, good. sure. Right, lovely uh, and love love the answers and it's just uh, again so so incredibly authentic. Um, so I want to let's let's you know we got in poker, you got to change gears. So let's uh, change gears to talk a little bit more about the Twitch stream. Uh, you started back in 2016. Hard to believe it's been that long already. Um, at what point did you sort of say, "Hey, all this poker that I'm doing"? Let's show everybody. <laughs> what what made you say let let's go ahead and stream it online for for people to see? So yeah, as a I, I always sort of loved video games, and obviously that led to watching that sort of stuff. I think originally, actually, the first time I was on Twitch was when it was Justin TV, and I was watching some um oh, old school, yeah, real old school. I was watching some uh, <laughs> football on there. Uh, then then eventually, um, eventually transitioned to to watching video games on Twitch, and then of course people started streaming poker. Jason Somerville started streaming poker. Uh, I saw Jamie Staples, um, Poker Staples streaming poker. And obviously I was playing a lot of poker myself and I thought, hey, I could do that. Like that looks like a fun thing to do. And it was kind of at a point with my poker where I'd been playing full-time for about, out of university about three years. And obviously through university, it was like playing pretty heavy hours for like two years. So it was kind of like five years, I guess, of playing and grinding. And that was my thing and moving up in stakes. So I'm not going to say that I was like bored with the game, but I was certainly happy to explore something that looked like a lot of fun. Um, and that's how it really started. It was just like, okay, well, I'm sitting here playing on my own. These guys are sharing their cards and talking to people. And it looks like a good time. So I'll turn my webcam on. I'll do the same thing. So I, I started that and I started um, streaming the cash games that I was playing, like the, you know, my regular day job, if you will. Um, and then after a few months, uh, I actually decided to completely stop playing poker. To And I, I stopped the stream and I stopped playing poker and I was working out what else I was going to do because the games that I were in, I, I had sort of stopped working so hard on my game and the games were getting tougher. The games, Some of the games that I were in, sites stopped offering those games to some of the sites I was playing on back in the day. So it's like, I kind of stopped and I was like, I'm going to do something else. And I kind of 
didn't know what that was going to be, but I was fortunate enough to have some money, you know, and I didn't go broke with my bankroll. It was just kind of sat there. So right. I had this big cushion to buy time. Um, and then about two months later, I was like, I should really just play poker because <laughs> <laughs> I looked at everything else. I was like, ah, this, this is a lot of work. So yeah. uh, I wanted to then get back into streaming poker, but I thought I don't want the stress of going back into the games that I was playing. Mm-hmm. which is how my then stream sort of relaunched. Uh, I started okay. with $100 and I was like, I'll play two cent, five cent, $100 games as a guy who's just finished playing full-time for five years and then build from there. So that's why the sort of the, the, the you know, origin of my channel was yeah. that I started with $100 at two cent, five cent. So it's kind of like a reset in a way, which allowed me to share the game and allowed me to share and grow this thing on Twitch but without the stress of, okay, well, we might lose three or $4,000 today, whatever. Um, and then just built that over the last six years from that point of playing two cent, five cent cash games, eventually transitioned a few months later into tournaments because I realized that on Twitch, people want that story. They want that, um, that narrative of we started here and we're here and there's a very clear beginning, middle, end type thing to follow throughout the day. Right. So I moved to tournaments for that reason and then went on that tournament journey over the last five years, I suppose. Sure. Oh, fascinating. It's really cool to, to hear also. thought It clearly also represents um, a little bit of like a, a personal evolution of just, you know, just thinking about yourself and making money and something. And now all of a sudden you're servicing or, or catering to an audience. You want to do what's good for them. You want to entertain, you want to engage, you want to teach. It's uh, it's pretty cool to hear that. Um, as poker players, you know, even recreational folks who take the game seriously like myself, you know, we try to continually evolve and get better. Um, you know, to what degree do you believe you've done that and, and tried to do that from when you started 2016 to now? Has your approach changed or techniques or, you know, certain things that you do on stream or, or engage the audience? Is that different at all now than when you started? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would say that over the six years, obviously you learn a lot about things that an audience likes, things that an audience doesn't like, what works, what doesn't, what formats are going to do well, what uh, visual presentation is going to do well. Um, does an audience really want to, you know, do they want something packaged and sanitized or do they want a real guy living his real life and making real authentic connections with the chat and like if i'm annoyed and frustrated they want to see me be annoyed and frustrated sure do they want to see me be more annoyed and frustrated than i actually am and acting up probably not right i think everything that you do on twitch there's there's really there's nowhere to hide on twitch right right if you have if you are fake or if you're putting up a wall if you're putting up a boundary um you're not going to be able to do that. You can do that on YouTube. You can do that in a 10-minute YouTube video. You can be whoever you like. You, you know, in a 30-minute YouTube video or an edited content, you can be whoever you like, I'm sure. Um, but when you're sitting in front of a camera for seven, eight hours a day, four or five days a week, you know, you have to be yourself because yeah. to be anything else would be, one, ludicrous, and two, exhausting. Yeah. Uh, and also, three, I think, at detriment to your success because that authenticity and that idea that, you're watching a real person live their real life. And when I'm elated and, you know, that I won this tournament and you see that, that's when you make that connection and think, I want this guy to do well because I see what it, you know, what it means. Or, yeah. you know, when I see this guy go on a bad run for a week and he's like starting to like question himself or he's starting to get frustrated in moments, it's like, we all know that in poker. So, you know, that 
being able to relate to what's going on is is really the key to everything. And I came to realize that I think pretty quickly, which is why, you know, hopefully, you know, that's why the, the audience has grown um, to the point that it has. But I've definitely evolved and learned over, over time and more so with like production stuff because yeah. I used to just like, I don't know, do all my own production and I would just like make my own scenes and overlays and things like that and, and whatnot. But over time, you just sort of develop and evolve and you want to put out, and I still want to put out, I hate to call it like a product, but I suppose it is a product I, that, that does kind of give it like a, a manufactured feel. Mm. I think that's the connotation of that word, but it's not really, you know, the product we're putting out is a very real thing. Yeah. It's like a, a connection to me and now a connection to the community and a connection to other people within the community. Mm. Um, so I think as long as evolving over time certainly has happened, be that within the stakes of poker we play, the um the way we have to run the chat with a bigger audience um the the production quality the videos we put out the youtube stuff we might you know take some of the content and put it there whatever it is but i think as long as you keep that core of why did people watch this channel right because they wanted to invest in me as a person not necessarily even as a poker player yeah. right they wanted to they wanted me to succeed or indeed they wanted me to fail they're still watching it's like as long as you keep that at the core i i think everything moving around it is isn't at the detriment of that you know that certainly makes a lot of sense um you know again like you know you're not supposed to be results oriented but like you said the results kind of sort of jive with you know the approach that uh, that you're mentioning um you talked about elation you talked about uh you know, the moments where things aren't necessarily going so well. I mean, it's obviously, I guess, easiest to point to, you know, huge wins or big scores as like highlights, but beyond, you know, any sort of anything monetary, is there anything that happened, you know, over these years, Twitch streaming that you could kind of point to and say, that was really cool. That was a highlight. That was like a learning experience, something I'll always remember. Again, that was not necessarily uh, monetarily related. Um, it's a good question because you do, you do, you do deal with a lot when you're streaming. That's yeah. not necessarily monetarily related. Um, I think really just a lot of, I don't want this to sound like too corny or something, but, um, for me as a community, having seen so many people be a part of the community for so long and see them sort of evolve and grow. And like, because of the community, because of being a part of it, um, and like opportunities that perhaps they've gotten, um, because, and like their, their, their sort of growth, yeah, whether it's in poker with or within yeah. something else. And also just like from a personal perspective, sort of developing a maturity or developing like a real sense of empathy for interacting with the chat every day. Uh, and this is like not really a poker thing. I suppose this is a real Twitch centric thing. Interacting with the chat every day where sometimes messages aren't nice, they're not savory, like people are insulting or people are needlessly whatever, demeaning to either me or to other people in the chat. And I think being on Twitch in the last five years has really helped me develop a, like be very aware to be empathetic all the time, 
where if someone is sending those messages, it's never from a good place. It's never from a happy place. And, you know, there, there are certain ways to deal with that. Sometimes, obviously, you just have to move that out of the chat if people are insulting people in chat. But I used to kind of be very, like, when I first started, I used to be very dismissive or I was just whatever, like, just you should, whatever. And some days like that, I am. Because, you can, you know, you kind of have to be. Sure. When people are insulting, you just, like, can't, you know, whatever. Get them banned, get them gone. But I think it's given me a real sense of empathy of learning to how to deal with people who are in a bad place or learning how to deal with people who aren't doing so well. Because there are so many times where people either on stream or have messaged me and I'm like, well, you don't need to send this message to get attention. You know, if you want attention, be in the chat and like you can chat with other people like there are people here. Right. And I'm not listen. This is now coming off like I'm some sort of like messiah saving people oh, yeah. of like they're on Twitch. And they're having a bad day and they come to me and I'm like, oh, you know, whatever. But it's like. <laughs> I don't know that there's definitely like the last five, six years, Twitch has taught me a lot of that, of though, that is probably the biggest thing that I've learned or the biggest moment for me. Like that it's like, it feels like a real success of like being able to empathize with people who are miserable or in a bad place or something like that. Cause I, I would never really see that before. When I see a message like that, I just see the message. This right. it's, a, it's a really weird thing to say, Robbie, but it's not like a poker thing really that I take away from it of like, oh, we had this cool thing and there was like a load of numbers uh, and there were a load of viewers and we, we had that. But there are so many people who genuinely have watched the stream and they'll, they'll message me and they'll be like, during lockdown, I was like miserable. I was on my own. I was on the stream every day. I was talking to people in the chat. I don't even like poker, but it was like, there was a few hundred people there that we tuned in every day and we spoke about that. Or there's someone who's just like, I used to like think that I was just coming to the stream and troll and I did. And then you said, whatever. And now I'm like, I'm glad you did. I love the content. I like, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Oh, you know, it's like, but that it. to me is like that does those <laughs> moments and that, or like seeing <laughs> someone, you know, like I say, who won a ticket and then went on to play this sure. tournament or, sure. like, Oh, I played that free roll Spraggy. And then I came to London and I'm, you know, did that play this tournament. It's my first time. And I like, I'm in love with this game. It's like, those moments, those journeys of the people seeing people take those is probably more than any personal moment. That is so brilliant. I love it. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know, I, I, that just kind of gives me the, you know, very heartwarming feeling. And I'm sure anyone who's, you know, listened to the last few minutes is kind right, of like, but also you know, going, just, that's so sweet. I don't, yeah, I don't want to, I'm not paying myself as a saint because there are also days where I tell people, like, fuck off, get out of my chat. That's you know exactly. I mean? so <laughs> like, that, that definitely happens. I'm Can't not, ruin I'm, the gimmick. None I of us are perfect. No We're all on a journey. We're all on a journey. <laughs> no problem. Well, speaking of, of the journey, along your journey, you know, while you're streaming, while you're playing, along comes Poker poker Stars knocking on your door and says, hey, would you like to wear the red spade and, you know, be, be a team pro? Um, how does it feel to get that phone call and be approached like that? Uh, it was great. It was really <laughs> great because, you know, in order for the stream to be successful, obviously, um, the opportunities that PokerStars have given me since I, I joined that team, you know, and knowing that when that phone call came, that those opportunities would be presented, it was like, it was really a feeling of having made it. Yeah. It was really a feeling of like, that is the top of the mountain, right? Like, because I was probably about 18 months into streaming and every day getting on streaming and doing this, doing that. And it was finally like, the top dogs really saying like we re we've seen what you're doing and we want to be a part of it that was like right. wow that was you know for me a lot of the validation of like is what i'm doing worthwhile comes from the audience and comes from like the people in the chat who love it and 
tell me that, you know, and they turn up every day and they, you know, they vote with their eyes. It's like, but to have Pokestars come along and say, we want to help you do more of that. We want to help, you know, that audience grow and more people to enjoy it. And we believe in what you're doing. That was like, that was a really, really cool moment for sure. Yeah. That's really cool. Well, now, now, you know, you're, you know, you're all in, you're, you're deep in with them. What does it mean to you to represent that brand? Because obviously, you know, they want to do for you and you want to do for them, but what does it mean to you, you know, to be an, an ambassador for that brand and to represent? Um. I mean, I'm very, I'm very proud of my association with Pokestars just because I see, and I've been to plenty of meetings with Pokestars staff. I've met all Pokestars people at different live events, live stops. I see how passionate those people are about poker. And I see on the Twitch team and the Twitch side of things, um, the you know people who manage that area, if you will, how passionate they are about Twitch and how well they have enabled Twitch streamers to do what they want to do. And that was the big thing when I, I first you know, signed to be on Team Pro was I have my own ways, right? Like as me and Fintan sure. signed at the time, we were like, listen, my stream is this. Um, I'm going to, it's always going to be that. I'm not, I'm not someone who's going to do that. And they say, well, you can't say that. Or, you know, you can't be like, don't do, don't say these things so much or whatever. I was like, I'm not going to be able to do that. And they're like, we've signed you because we're you. If we didn't want you, we would have signed someone else. So not once, I've been with Pokestars now five, five and a half years. Not once has anyone come to me and said, we didn't like the way you said this, or we didn't like the way you said that. We didn't like the way you spoke about this on stream or whatever. It's very much, um, we will support you to become the best streamer you can be. Whatever resources you need, let us know. We'll have resources for you, whether it's, you know, findings like editors finding you need time off like you know recently i went uh over to vegas whatever because i needed some time off from from the stream no problem go do it so in terms of me then representing or being an ambassador for pokestars i know how much they've given me and how much they've done for other streamers and allowed my channel to grow to the point where it where it is um and i know how much they are passionate about poker i know how much people want poker to succeed and poker to be looked after and um how much they want twitch to be looked after so it's very important to me that they they've done so much i want to i want to represent them in the best way and really get that message out because you know there are there have been times when um public sentiment about pokestars has not been um they've not seen that um or you know that has not been the case um i would like to think that 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 there has been a shift over the last couple of years where people see that PokerStars do care about poker. And I've, I've never met anyone within PokerStars or that has not cared about poker as much as you and I do, right? They're very, very passionate poker people. So um, as an ambassador, it's important for me to hopefully make people realize that, that like poker is important to PokerStars. Poker is PokerStars, right? Yeah. I'm a poker player. So I always say this as well as, right? Like when I, as, as an ambassador for PokerStars, the players for me still come first. My relationship to the poker players comes first. So whatever's happening, like I have the interests of poker at my core. They have the interests of poker at my core. Obviously, sometimes like for whatever reason, they, they can't quite, you know, things have to go one way or, or the other. But like we are poker players first. And I want people to realize that PokerStars knows that. PokerStars cares about poker players. PokerStars wants to put poker players first.
for sure. And I got to say, uh, you know, I've been playing, albeit recreationally, uh, for many, many years myself, <laughs> a good 20 something years as well. Um, you know, I have a, I would like to say, pretty decent reads on people. And, you know, just to point back to something you said yourself, to be on camera, you know, we've been, you know, on a half hour, a little bit more than that on camera, at some point you are yourself, you've got to be authentic. So it may be easy for someone to go ahead and be a little, you know, raise an eyebrow. Oh, sure, he's paying to say that. But if you've been listening this whole time for 30 or some odd minutes, 40 some odd minutes, and you've been hearing the way Ben talks, sorry, Spraggy, Spraggy talks, um, you know, it's genuinely authentic. And, you know, my read on the situation, you know, the way you responded, it certainly seems uh, incredibly authentic, more power to you. And uh, clearly uh, it's a marriage that makes a lot of sense. And that segues so beautifully into our next topic, another marriage that happened recently. Congratulations to you. It's not 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 a year yet. How many months have uh, you been married now? Um, August, we were married. Yes. So how so, many months is that? Math, math, math. Uh, eight, eight months married. You have to eight celebrate every congratulations, Spraggy. Yeah, it's very cool. Thank you. Thank you. And I, and I love that Marley calls you Spraggy still. It's just a, a very cool thing. It's awesome. She does, even though as I said, she's, she's a Spraggy now as well. Correct. So yes, Correct. but she still calls me Spraggy. That's wonderful. So um, I'm just curious, and I guess, you know, when you're out there, you know, the lone, you know, you're in, you know, you're in the pond kind of looking around, you know, who, who, who could I end up, you know, spending time the rest of my life with that sort of a thing? Was it specifically in your mind, hey, it would be great if it was someone who understood poker well, who may even be a poker player herself, or is that just sort of like an added bonus? That's definitely just an added bonus. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just, I mean, it's a, it's a terribly inconvenient relationship to fall in love with someone who lives on the other side of the world. It's just very, very annoying, to be honest. But I just, I you know, I, I, you can't help it, right? You know, like when that when that happens, there's really nothing to be done. It was kind of out of my hands, uh, and and out of her hands. Um, I was never looking for a relationship in poker. Um, I, was, I was not looking for a relationship, but um, it just it just came about. Um, it is nice though. Um, yeah. It is really nice, and I, I know a lot of people were like, I would never want to be in a relationship, or as a poker player, I would never want to be in a relationship with a poker player for whatever reason that they want their work life family life to be separate or they think that it would cause arguments of like hey do you think i played this hand badly yes you did what you know it's just like another point of friction (laughs) yeah um yeah i'm not sharing a bed with someone who chat raises his hand on the floor whatever you know like uh but really that's we don't really have any of that are we just Mm. uh it's very nice that um if I'm staying up till four o'clock in the morning because I'm stuck in a tournament or I'm still playing a tournament, stuck in a tournament is probably the wrong word. It's like sometimes in a relationship, it would might be like, well, what are you doing? It's four o'clock in the morning. Now you're getting out of bed at 2 p.m. Like, you know, whatever. It's like you just spent 10 hours a day in front of the computer. But for Marley, it's like, you know, how did the session go? How is this? She understands it. I can, I can share that with her. I can, you know, when she's having a rough session, it's I'm not just someone who doesn't understand poker and it's like, oh, well, you know, that's the, you know, get them next time. Or like, maybe you shouldn't be playing. You know, I know that whatever's going on with her, I can relate to it. I can, I can uh, empathize. Uh, and her with staying me. up till 4am the next day. And well, yeah, she's the one who's like getting home at eight o'clock in the morning for have, you know, she's played 16 hour session at the win and, yep. you know, but likewise, right? Like if I didn't understand poker, I'd be like, where have you been? It's 7am. Yeah. You've just yeah. come in the house. I'm getting up for work. Right. So, I think it is actually a really nice um, sort of, again, just an incidental thing. Um, mm. 
that that is um it's kind of nice but certainly not something that i was i was searching out or like yeah. you know hoping that i'd be in a, a poker relationship yeah i mean i'm a little bit of a softy i've been married almost 20 years and you know I, i'm a big, oh that's big, wonderful thank you uh, i'm a big fan of you know courtship stories and i'm sure lots of folks in the cards chat uh, forums uh, community uh, would be interested to hear this. You know, ex excuse my own, perhaps a little bit overreaching. How, how did you know you two meet and you know fall in love and propose that kind of stuff? You know, tell me the story if you don't mind. No, no, of course. Um, so I want to see if it jives with what Marley told me. You know, uh, <laughs> oh goodness <laughs> me, uh, we we first met at a Run It Up Reno event uh, where I was doing commentary for Run It Up, and and so was Marley. And I was obviously aware of Marley from her her vlogs and things like that. I thought she was really funny and, you know, just like smart, funny. Um, and I remember at Reno, the first time I spoke to Jesse Fullen, who works yeah. with uh, Poker News. Yeah. And he was like, okay, we've got you. Uh, you're leading the commentary this morning and you're going to be with Marley, paired up with uh, Marley Cordero. You know her, the vlogger. I was like, yeah, yeah, I know. Like, so then I already kind of knew that, you know, I was kind of excited about that already. And then Molly and I did commentary together. We got on really well. And then a couple, about an hour in, Finton got put in as like a third commentator and he came and sat in between us. I was like, he, not that he was like moving in on my space. He was in a relationship at the time. I was like, listen, buddy, like Molly and I are getting on like a house on fire. Let's not like, you know, let's not mess anything <laughs> up here. Uh, and then after that, we sort of stayed in touch. Um, I think because I was only there for a week, um, we had sort of spent some time, but, you know, just like having fun. We we're playing some uh, drunk cash games, things like that. Sure. And uh, we'd stayed in touch. But because I was going back to the UK, in my mind, it was like, well, that's just, this is what, just don't be ridiculous. Like, there's obviously nothing, like, there's nothing could ever happen there. But I always, I always thought, weirdly, and I never really think about this when I meet people, but I really thought that there was something. I was mm -hmm. like, I had a really weird, like, good, like, connection with my like we really got on and i never ever think that mm. um so then it came to the next run it up event which i did not attend and joe stapleton texted me and said uh um marley's at this event and all she's asking about is why spraggy isn't here like why, spraggy, why isn't he at the event <laughs> That's awesome. so eventually so that obviously i was like super excited by that and uh joe and marley are friends yeah and i'm texting joe and i'm like What's she been saying? Like, what? Tell me, like, does she like me? What's going on? And he's like, she's like, so. And then Stapes is saying to me, look, I, Molly told me some stuff in confidence. I don't want to. I'm not going to like break her trust. I'm not going to say that. But he was like, if you were to talk to Molly, it would probably go fine, right? Good but, man to have good, <laughs> right? Sure, but he's like, I'm not going to like go into what she's like saying, blah blah blah. And then, fortunately for me, Molly uh, got drunk one night uh, with Katie Lindsay. And I remember getting a drunk FaceTime from both of them. And obviously, Marley just didn't presumably realize there's a time difference. So it's like 4 a.m. UK time. Right. I look at my phone. It says Marley Cordero FaceTime. I'm like, what, the, what is this? Yeah. So I'm, I like answer it, but I'm like in bed, half sure. asleep. So I like turn the camera the other way. So right. I like, I don't like, don't look at me right now. Right. So And then it's her and Katie Lindsay. And she's she's like, where are you? I was like, oh, she's, and they're like, oh, we wish you were here. I'm like, okay. And then next day she just texts me and she's like, I think it's pretty clear I have a crush on you. Oh. And I'm like, no, it's not clear at all because I'm like, I would never, I would never think like you have a crush on me. Like I, you know, I've had a crush on you since that day I met you. Uh, so that's great. And then from beautiful. there, we're just chatting, meeting, met up. 
I went to New York. She came up to New York. We spent the time together. We went down to LA, Vegas, and then that was it. And then during lockdown, she was due to, we'd been sort of going back and forth two weeks here, a week there. We went to Mexico for her birthday, things like that. And then just before the first lockdowns, she came to England, which was supposed to be for 10 days. And she got here and then third or fourth day she was here things started shutting down and then fifth or sixth day it was like this is shutting down and she was like i don't really want to go back on my own back to vegas on my own and you know because she was living on her own time and it's like and then not know when i might be able to travel again i was like we'll just stay here for in my head i was like we'll just stay here for a couple weeks and see see whatever blow over so (laughs) obviously anyway she then ends up staying for a couple weeks and the whole world shuts down yeah Mm -hmm. and she was here for and she could only stay for six months. She was here for um, right up to six months. Right. And then we went to Dublin and we went to Ireland for, we'd be there for up to three months. So that was a real test because she was supposed to be here for a week and she'd packed for a week. Oh wow! And then <laughs> during, a, during the pandemic to be living together for the first time for that six month period, but we just got on incredibly well. We just like, you know, it was, it was absolutely I know it sounds really weird to weird to say because of everything that's happened, but it was like it was a wonderful time for our relationship, like personally, to have all that terrible things and tragedy happening, yeah. like to find love. Really, we, we did. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then we went to Dublin, and she was about to have to fly home to Dublin, and I was like, I'm not gonna let her go home without asking her to marry me. Um, so the Dublin was actually fully closed down at the time we were there, but Finton Hand. Uh, better known as Easy With Aces Online, um, he, his mum's friend was a jeweler, and so I said, I said, like, I need to, I need to get a ring, but I can't have something delivered to the house because Molly will find the package and she'll open it and she'll realize this, what was right. going on. Right. So I was like, you could you get your mum's friend to find me a, a ring? And then I had to try and get out the house because we were in lockdown and in the house together. I was like, oh, Finton uh, wants to just go grab a coffee, go for a walk, whatever, and like chat, catch up. I'm just going to go do that. So I'd go to that. He passes me off the ring. And then we go to a park, which I was told it was lockdown. So the park would be empty, but there's this nice walk, go walk through the park. And I was yeah. going to propose there. So anyway, Robbie, we get to the park and apparently a lockdown is finished. And there's like a, it's like a child's football tournament on. And there's about three or 400 people in this park. And the quiet walk is not a quiet walk. And I'm like, and then I'm sort of walking around and then there's loads of people down there. And Molly thinks I'm like being really weird because I'm like, oh, let's not, we'll go down there. And I'm like, being like off because I'm like nervous as well. Because sure, sure. obviously like I knew she would say yes, right? But you wanted in to be theory, special, right? But in the back of my head, I also thought she was going to say no, right? Like that doubt of like, what if she just like, no, I don't want to do that. And just like, then she, whatever. So eventually I find, I find a little tree by a lake and I, I go down and uh, to start proposing and I just start crying. And Aww. she's like, yeah, I mean, I shouldn't share that obviously, but I mean, whatever. <laughs> That's very funny. Is it Tonga? Yeah. I shouldn't share that, but I just started crying. And she's like, are you, like, are you for real? And I was like, yeah, like, of course. And she's like, of course I will. Yes. And that's uh, so we got engaged. Then we got married and blah, blah, blah. I love it. That's sweet. Thank you very much. You go, I've overshared. You said, are you comfortable sharing how you met? And I'm like, and then I'm on. It is. <laughs>
<laughs> but anyway, that's my entire emotional that side is for so, that for you live here on the, for the Cards Chat audience. That is just beautiful. Thank you, Tonka, for providing the uh, laugh track there. It's great. But um, no, genuinely, like, you know, folks, you know, if you're just listening, you couldn't see my face. I'm just kind of sitting here with this goofy grin. It's like, oh, it's, that's just beautiful. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing to hear. Um, and I just do kind of feel obligated. You kind of name dropped over there. You mentioned Fit in the Hand. We've had him on uh, on episode number 16. Please feel free to listen to that after the show. After you listen to that one, you might want to hear. Sorry, that was um, that was uh, um, episode 27 was Fit in the Hand. Episode 16 uh, was Joe Stapleton. Uh, of course, so you know, mentioned him, and of course, I did mention we've had Marley on the show before. She was episode thirty-two. I'm glad that finally, uh, eighty-one episodes in, uh, you agreed, uh, Spraggy, to join us on the, on this show. It's my pleasure, absolutely. Thank you. Love the story again. It just you know, I can't help but smile. Uh, really beautiful, really romantic, really sweet. Um, it's great. Love it. Um, so just another couple questions from me before we get into the community questions here from our wonderful Cards Chat uh, members. Um, you know, you, you, you said, obviously, you know, all this time uh, that you got to spend with Marley, um, you know, in Ireland, in the UK, and obviously you've been, you know, a frequent visitor for lengthy periods of time to Las Vegas. As someone who basically was just sort of streaming from home in front of your computer for so long, all of a sudden you're doing a lot more traveling. What's it feel like for you to be living elsewhere for lengthy periods of time? Um, I really enjoyed it, actually. I mean, I think obviously um, Molly and I would prefer to be settled and she, she is going to move here, um, you know, hopefully really soon. But it's kind of in a way been a blessing in disguise that I've been able to spend so much time, particularly in Vegas where I had been to Vegas before with with friends for like a week and stayed on the strip and done the whole like touristy in Vegas with like the lads type trip. Yeah. Um, but to to actually be able to spend, um, I was there recently for two months, a little bit more than two months, to spend a lot of time. That was uh, summer of 2021. Yep. Um, to be able to play a lot of tournaments, a lot of cash games, and really experience the city as more than just the strip and going out and drinking and then going to the hotel and waking up and doing it again and then flying home. Um, I really in particular loved my time in Vegas um, and met so many like great people in poker who um, I'm lucky enough to call friends now, you know, um, through Mali, being friends with them or through tournaments or like meeting people who play the same tournaments or in the cash games, you play with the same people, you know, several times a night and, and, and get talking to them and meeting new people. And also being in and around card rooms where, where whether it's traveling to Vegas or some of the other live stops and the, with the more traveling that I'm doing, meeting people who watch the stream, right? Like plenty nice, of people come yeah. over and it's like, Hey, I, you know, I've watched your stuff. It's really surreal to walk into South Point card room in Vegas and someone's like, Spraggy, what are you doing here? And I'm like, how <laughs> on earth do you know me? But you know, cause it's not, my brain isn't adjusted to the fact that someone will, you know, from Nevada will be watching me play yeah. cards. So sure. um, I think with everything, it has its challenges. The one downside is that it means I'm on stream a little less than I would like to be. Yeah. Um, obviously, not being able to play from Vegas is, is a big deal. Um, but I think the traveling in general has been, has been kind of nice. Um, and just opened up a whole new world of poker, especially live poker that I hadn't really been experiencing as much. So we mentioned before about 
how I would play the occasional live stop, but really digging yeah. into Vegas poker has been, been a, a lot of fun. And also it's like, it's good for the stream as well, because not only do the people who follow the stream kind of get to follow that of, okay, he's gone from, uh, you know, playing the online tournaments. Now he's in the win 10 K and I'm going right. to rail that, or now he's in the UK IPT main event. I'm going to rail that, you know, that thing online or, you know, check for updates there. Um, but it's also like, you just get great stories, you know, yeah. great. Um, okay. I was playing with, I mean, played the win event and Johnny Chan was on the table next to me. Right. Uh, or I was playing with whoever, I mean, there are very few people in poker who, because you've been around poker so long, I've sort of met everyone played with all these big names, but there's still a few people. I'm like, Eric Seidel was at this tournament. I'm like, that's Eric Seidel, you know? Yeah, so yeah. Th these things are good to, you know, to be able to share on stream and talk about it on stream. So yeah, I'm, I'm really lucky to have been able to travel with the excuse of, um, you know, obviously <laughs> necessary to, to go back and forth with me and Molly and also like the yeah. excuse of being there. Oh, uh, you know, I'm here to spend time with Molly, but also uh, the wind tank is on. So I'm going to go jump into that. So, you know, right. that, that's been really, really cool. Really nice. Very cool. Um, and, you know, just one of the things that you were able to do while you were there, uh, you know, in Las Vegas, you got to attend the Global Poker Awards uh, earlier this year, the 2021 edition. And, uh, you know, you, you knocked uh, your teammate. You knocked Lex off the pedestal. Uh, Finally. There you go for, for being poker's best streamer. Uh, you know, some obviously incredible competition there. Uh, and just, you know, another that much more beautiful thing, having Marley there. A lot of folks have talked about how nice it was. To, I, I saw it also, you know, uh, the, the broadcast, you know, seeing her with her phone there, really proud of you also crying. It was, it was really beautiful. What did, what did it feel like, um, first of all, in that moment for you, and especially having her there, but more so than that, you know, to win that award and, and get the recognition from the greater poker community of like, hey, you last year were, you know, deserving of number one of, of this thing that you do. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, I'm quite a, quite a cynical person. I'm quite, you know, I look at it and I think it's easy to be sort of look at a poker awards show and think, you know, whatever. Uh, shouldn't be taken too seriously. It's nice. It's really lovely to get together. But Having been there and having experienced it, it really does mean a lot to the people who are there and who are nominated. Yeah. And I, I think actually my idea of its importance is kind of, <laughs> it sounds really funny. I'm like, I used to think it wasn't important, but now I won. It's the right. most important thing <laughs> anyone has ever done. Obviously now I'm the winner. Like it wasn't before that it didn't really mean anything, but now I want it. It definitely means everything. But sure. no, um, I think it's easy. I think it's something that's easy to be cynical about, but I actually think it is, um, it's a really, really wonderfully done event. Everyone involved in it is really um, uh, welcoming and uh, sincere and and kind and all the categories, like I say, really mean something to the winners. And I didn't think that, first of all, I didn't think that I would win um, because, you know, Lex is, has been number one and, and you know, so good at what he does. Um, and like you say, Robbie, there's a lot of, there's a lot of competition. Like there's yeah. a lot of great streamers. There are definitely, you know, a lot of better poker players than me on, on, on that website. There are, you know, a lot of people who run really great streams who are very popular, have like big audiences and rightfully so, you know, they're very entertaining. Um, so to have after, I guess, six years of streaming to have that moment, I didn't think it would really mean that much to me because um, I, or like if I did win, I was like, sure, like that would be nice. It would be lovely. But then when I was there and like Marley was crying and like, you know, there's like people sending me such lovely messages and people sharing it on Twitter and saying oh, what a lovely moment it was and things like that. It really was 
more special than I thought it than I thought it would be. Um, and I say I think it's important not just for this category, but also for vloggers, right? Because it's it, and 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 poker players too. It can be very lonely. Um, I'm probably in one of the least lonely poker areas, I guess, because I, I have that connection to a, a, a direct audience right there every day. But for like people who are grinding tournament circuits or people who are organizing tournaments or tournament directors or, or whoever it might be or coming up with these ideas, sometimes it can feel like a lonely pursuit. So to have a, a day of recognition at night and say like, you did it. Like this is, this is, you know, we're recognizing what you did. We thank you for what you did. We appreciate what you did. Uh, it is, it is. I think it's really important. I think it's really nice. Um, nice. Yeah. Yeah, Good. sure. Great answer. All right, well, folks, a segment you've all been waiting for when you've tired of my questions. This is the segment of the show where we turn to all of you, our Cards Chat community, to see what questions you wanted to ask our guests. Of course, we have a dedicated thread on the Cards Chat forums for this. So as we announce who our future guests will be, please be sure to send in your questions. And the first questions come from Chica Bonita. Thank you very much, Chica Bonita, for sending these in. Uh, we'll start off on perhaps a lighthearted note, Spraggy. Uh, tell us Chica Benita wants to say, uh, tell us please about the dispute after which you appeared in a wig with a bald head at a tournament a few years ago. Uh, the condition was to shave his head. Do you think you have fulfilled the conditions by wearing a wig and why did that joke make you laugh? This, that, that username, I bet that's the person responsible for this, this get up. Uh, do I think I've fulfilled my contractual obligations within the joke? For those of you who do not know the story, Jesse Fullen, who, as we alluded to, now works for Poker News, said to me, if I can make you laugh, you have to shave your head. Or he said, I'll make you laugh. And I said, Jesse, if you make me laugh, I'll shave my head. I'll bold. Because I just did not think Jesse Fullen was capable of making me laugh. So um, then Jesse Fullen types in the chat, um, I, I went to a really bad, what is even the joke? I went to a really bad zoo at the weekend. It's a dog something it's a shit zoo it's a shit zoo dog so it was so it was robbie it was a joke so terrible it, it like doesn't even deserve to be remembered but <laughs> something about the whole setup to it and then the way it was in the chat and then i laughed on stream i was like oh my goodness like a bet is a bet now i'm gonna have to shave my head bald but then it came to it and we did kind of get around it by having a a bald cap at reno yeah. Uh, and then like the, the little bits of hair on the side. Do I feel like that was fine and fair? Yes, kind of, because I, I'm, listen, I have not been blessed with a very pleasing aesthetic, right? Like I have, the hair really is all I've got. Me, I, you know, going bold, I don't think I have to be on camera. I don't think anybody wants to look at that for six, seven, eight hours a day. So I'm keeping the hair regardless. If you want to say that I've, you know, not fulfilled the terms of the bet, that's just going to have to be the way it is, I'm afraid. I may apply, not that I'm one to know anything about looks, but you're certainly rocking the Ed Sheeran uh, mop, uh, in my this, opinion. But, th but this is all I have. This hair is, <laughs> without that, 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 it all falls apart. <laughs> so there's no bold there's no bold shaving going on here. Lovely. Okay. Also from Chica Benita. Thank you, Jesse Fillon, for your question. I don't know. <laughs> like, <that'd be laughs> well, thank you, Chica Benita, for the Chica question. Benita. We don't know who it is. Um, <laughs> also wants to know, uh, do you have any idols among professional poker players that you've either studied or you would like to be like or play like? Oh, good question. Do I have any idols? I don't think idols is the right word. I don't really like 
I definitely look up to people. I definitely respect people a lot. There's a lot of people in poker that I respect a great deal. Um, as I said, when sometimes you look at those 5K, 10K lobbies and you see some of the names, you're like, oof, like that's a player I don't want at my table. Sometimes I'll join a table and I think, oof, that's not somebody. You know, I wish I was as good as them. You know, like if I if I had the the game that they had, you know. Um, but I think, especially when you're within the game, I think it's much better to look at those folk in an aspirational sense rather than like an idolizing them sense because i i really believe that nothing is out of reach and i think the idea of like an idol is like you're there and they're like at this unobtainable position above you or like they're up in you know the stratosphere and there's there's no path to it i think i look at a load of people in poker like and obviously he's sat here right now, but like Tonka is someone that I respect a lot, like his poker game. Sorry, I don't respect Tonka at all. I respect Tonka's poker game a lot. And like my friend, uh, one Conby one, I respect, you know, his poker game a lot. People like Lena and C-, C Darwin. And, you know, those are the people I looked up and think, right, like I'm blessed to be able to study with some of them. I would love to be able to, you know, be as fierce a force as those guys are. But I don't like the idea of like idolizing them because I think it creates a, a separation which I think for almost anyone, if they want to work hard enough, that separation doesn't, it need not exist. A very layered and uh, nuanced reply. And I think that's an important uh, thing to do with a question like that. Well done, sir. Um, all right, Pirate Glenn. Uh, thank you very much, Pirate Glenn. Uh, you know, nice contributor of questions <laughs> over the latest few uh, shows. So thank you very much for submitting these. Uh, nice technical question for you. Uh, and I promise Uh-oh. this is not, this is, no, no, not, not too technical, but very like, you know, by the book, perfect question. What advice, uh, Pirate Glenn wants to know, Spraggy, would you give to any up and coming poker enthusiast who wanted to stream and get affiliated to Twitch? Good question. What advice would I give to a streamer. So I think, um, as, as I've always spoken about being authentic, being yourself, um, being, um, showing the true side of you, showing your true emotions and not being afraid to do that, um, is a big part of it because you will get exhausted if you're trying to emulate someone else or you think, okay, well, this was successful for Lex. So I'm going to be like Lex, or this was successful for Jamie Staples. So I'm going to try and be like Jamie Staples. I think you have to find your own path be your own person um, and keep that at the core of everything that you do. Like, is this me? Is this, are people going to form a connection with me or are they going to find that difficult because I'm trying to play a character or I'm trying to play up or I'm, I'm masking something or I'm not who I really am. Um, outside of that, I will turn streams off if the audio quality is really bad. And obviously that's like a huge basic thing, but like if your audio quality is bad or your stream it's like not nice to look at but that doesn't mean there's like this huge barrier to entry a stream not being nice to look at it can be as simple as there's my table maybe you even choose not to have a webcam i think it really helps to have a webcam because again forming a personal connection being able to see that person is pretty important but you don't need a big fancy overlay you don't need like really expensive equipment but just make sure that like i can hear you nice and clearly and make sure that the game that i'm watching is I can clearly see everything that's going on and, you know, a webcam certainly helps. Um, there, you know, there are ways to overdo it as well. If you have too many gimmicks and moving parts on the, on a stream, uh, it can be pretty distracting. And, you know, if, if your microphone's crackling or there's feedback or something like that, something as simple as that, 
Sure. Why watch, right? Like, especially if you're trying to grow, I'll just move on to someone else who I don't have to listen to whatever. So those right. basic technical things, but also like be you. Don't try and be anyone else, be you. Right. And you know, just, I guess, my, my follow-up to that question in case anyone's like super curious, any specs uh, on the microphone and camera you use? Uh, I just, I've had the same webcam since I started six, um, six years ago. It's a Logitech C920. Um, but you know, like, I don't, I don't think again, like camera quality, I don't think it's particularly important. I think microphone quality more, this is like, a, this microphone is quite, what are you talking about? Sure. The C920 is a nice webcam, but get a reasonable, get a reasonable microphone. It could just be a headset mic with the, the thing. Um, yeah. But it's just like the quality. You, you, you don't want a crackle, but just some, sometimes it's like a technical thing. Listen back to your own stream or make a recording and listen back. I don't, I think microphones not going to set you back that much money. You don't need to go all out on this just yet. Fair enough. Cool. Okay, cool. Next question from Pirate Glenn. Uh, clearly someone who follows you very closely. Um, I hope the answer is good. don't know. How is your cat? Pirate Glenn wants to know. I know he was unwell operated on recently. What's the latest? Thank you very much, Pirate Glenn. Uh, so Olaf, my cat, had a... Um, he had an issue where he was having some problems with his breathing. He was sort of breathing heavily. Um, we took him in. He he actually he 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 actually wasn't operated on. He well he was he was sedated for an X-ray because um, they wanted to X-ray his lungs. When they X-ray a human, they tell you to hold your breath so that your lungs aren't moving and they can get a clear X-ray picture. You can't tell a cat just hold your breath for a little right. moment there. So they have to sedate him and then inflate his lungs with a bag so that they can get a clear X-ray picture. Uh, the good news is they X-rayed him and there was no lumps or masses or anything in the lungs. Um, he, he has, um, asthma, um, which, you know, it's, it's not uncommon in cats. So I'm told, uh, the treatment is to give him a, an inhaler, uh, like as you would treat a, a human with sure. asthma. The problem is he is a rescue cat who is not going to sit there and let you give him, uh, um. an inhaler. <laughs> so he, he has to have, um, a steroid injection, oh, which, which usually lasts around three to four months. But since he had that about three probably more, probably about three or four months ago now. His breathing's way better. He's running around. He's fine. He's happy. He he lost a lot of weight, but before he had this treatment, now he's a big fat boy again. He's like, he's he's doing great. Thank you. That's a right. very considerate question. The cat is well is the long and short of that story. Good to hear. Good to hear. Um, thank you very much. Uh, we've got uh, one last question, Asker. Uh, Acid Burn FX, one of my favorites, always asks some fascinating questions and hopefully we'll get to as many as we can of Acid Burn FX's questions because, uh, you know, nice notes on which to end off on here. Um, very creative. I love the questions here. If you could instantly, Spraggy, become a master of any one skill, what skill would you pick and why? A master of any one skill. Um, it's a very good question. If really, yeah, my my brain is turning. It certainly wouldn't be poker. Um, I don't think it would be anything related to what I do. It'd be something pretty obscure. I've always been very impressed. We went to a jazz club recently, and the ability to just you see people who are just like given. A couple notes and then they just produce something beautiful be it on piano or 
saxophone or whatever instrument. I've always been really impressed by the ability to produce music, create music. Um, but that also feels like kind of a waste because I could just learn to play the piano. And if I have this like magical skill where I become like an instant master of anything, yeah. I guess it would be like persuasion. Hmm. Because then you could just like, if you were a, a master of persuasion, if you were like the best persuader in the world, presumably you could just like, whatever, do whatever, solve whatever, uh, you know, like create idealistic scenarios. Yeah, Yeah, you definitely get out of parking tickets, Robbie. I was thinking more like, you know, like peace talks, things like that. But, you know, you got to think bigger here, Robbie. Robbie's like, I got dinged for 30 quid the other day at the supermarket. I could get out of that. I'm like, you know, maybe we could, uh, you know, persuade some folks not to fight, you know, fight each other or something, you know? I think persuasion is a nice one to have, or diplomacy, or yeah. something like that. And also parking tickets. I, you've reminded yeah. me I also have a parking ticket to pay. There so. you go. Okay. Sure. We'll do two more. Um, Acid Burn FX presents the following scenario to you, Spraggy. You win $1 million. Nice. Catch, I love it already. Ah, The catch oh. is that you have to spend it in a week. How would you spend it? Oh, I'm just going to give a very boring answer. Just buy, buy a house, you know? I just buy a house, million million dollars, put it into brick and mortar, and then oh. that would probably appreciate over time. Um, or we go to Vegas, we go to Vegas, we go into the desert, we rent a tank, we're blowing up cars, Woo! we go back, we hit up Bobby's room, we play as high as we can play. Okay, so it either I I listen. I know you want to hear something right, like that. I would buy like there. I would buy like three Bugattis or some you know whatever, and like you know get all my friends racing them. I would. I'm a very boring man. I would just buy a house. Well, I'll follow up. Where would Spend where would said furnishings. house be? Um, I would buy probably in the Cotswolds, probably the somewhere huts? in the Cotswolds. In the Cotswolds, round where round here, round where. See, I wouldn't even move anywhere. I wouldn't even be like. <laughs> I wouldn't even move. I wouldn't even go, oh, I'll go to the Bahamas or I go to the Seychelles or I'll, I'll retire. I, I would just like probably just like a couple miles away. There's some nice, nice houses. So I, I think that Acid Burn FX will be offering the million dollars to to uh, Tonka there. So to someone else. Yeah, you, you need you need more of an adventurous spirit for that million dollar Acid Burn. Well, this is, this is perhaps uh, fitting then uh, as far as adventurous spirit. Uh, the last question we've got for you today, Spraggy, and again, thank you so much for your time. Um, Acid Burn FX presents the following scenario. If you were invisible for a day, where would you go and why? If I was invisible for a day, where would I go? Um, I don't really know. Um, Maybe I don't think I would rob a bank or anything like that because I just honestly I might just stay in. Stop. <laughs> no, I wouldn't stay in. I wouldn't stay. In. I would go to like I don't know, like where would be interesting? Houses of Parliament, maybe. I think I'd go to the Houses of Parliament and just have a little, just see what's going on. Just get into some of those backroom meetings and uh, maybe I would. Okay, so. Acid Burn's obviously not going to be able to follow up on this, but in my head, I would go into like Houses of Parliament, listen to some of these backroom meetings, wow. but then I would not be able to take like a dictaphone with me to record any of it because they would see a floating dictaphone. So are the items I have on me invisible as well? Presumably not. Let's because say they are. 
Okay, let's say they are. I would go and I would like try and like maybe see what's going on with like, high levels of government and see if they're like giving out any secrets about whatever's going on or like um, maybe they're talking about aliens. Maybe I would go to Area 51 if that there exists, you, so, you know, something like that. But then if I can't record it, so acid burn, if, if, if the items I don't have, then I'm just like a crazy guy who's like, I know aliens are real. I heard a conversation. They're like, hey, right. like, well, I was invisible for a day. And they're like, okay, it's uh, like, please, uh -huh. you know? So if I can take recording equipment, I would do that. If not, I'll probably just stand. I see. I thought you were going to go with, well, if the dictaphone's invisible, you just play like fart noises during the parliament meeting. Oh, so. you went. So again, Robbie, I've gone for like exposing world governments and you've gone for like playing fart noises. Yeah. And they're like, where's that coming from? Sure. <laughs> gotta go. sure. We've got very uh, different kind of motives of what we would do with unlimited uh, powers here. Well, no one ever asked me what I would do if I was invisible. So just maybe, again, perhaps. There you go. You just, just go into important meetings and pretend to fart. That's, there that's you go. And on that lovely note, I want to thank everyone who sent in questions for Spraggy. Just a friendly reminder, once again, to all of you out there in the card chat community. We would love to see you submit your questions for our future podcast guests in the dedicated thread on the forums. Folks, please be sure to give us a good review on iTunes and spread the word via your social media channels if you liked the show. Mr. Spraggy, Benjamin Sprague, before we let you go, is there anything else you'd like to share with the Cards Chat audience? Um, I would love, actually, to share my sincere uh, thanks and gratitude for, one, people taking time out of the day to, to post questions and insightful questions. Uh, and thank you to you, Robbie, for having me on. And uh, again, Nice to have, um, you know, good conversations and good chat um, with yourself and with hopefully people enjoy the things that we uh, we got to discuss. I, I certainly did. And thank you very, very much as well. It's uh, always delightful, especially, you know, when you just kind of know someone virtually and get that first chance to speak with them, yes. uh, that the conversation goes even better than you possibly could have imagined. So thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, thank you, Spraggy. Thank you all for tuning in once again to another episode of Cards Chat. I'm Robbie Straczynski. You can follow me on Twitter at Card Player Life. I wish you all a wonderful day. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.